welcome to The Warm-Up, a MoMA PS1 podcast showcasing interviews between warm-up curators and a selection of artists from the 2016 lineup. For 19 years, MoMA PS1's warm-up series has brought together the best in experimental music, sound, and DJs, both local and international, across a wide array of genres. This summer, we're taking time to sit down with some of these artists to talk to them about their process, their inspiration, the sounds that excite them, and what's to come. My name is Matt Worth, and I am on the curatorial committee for 2016's warm-up, as well as the founder of Revenge International, an independent record label based out of New York. Today I'm sitting with Sherard Ingram, aka DJ Stingray, a renowned techno artist who's been making work out of Detroit for the last three decades as a member of Drexia, Urban Tribe, and under his own name. DJ Stingray performs at Warm Up on July 2nd, 2016, alongside Theo Parrish, Lena Wilkins, and Kiki Kudo. Hi, Sherard, DJ Stingray. Thank you so much for being here in New York City. Glad to be here, Matt. You are coming all the way from Detroit. What brought you to this very seat, this very moment? What are you doing in New York uh, for July 4th weekend? I am going to be uh, presenting some selections from my vinyl collection at uh, MoMA PS1 and the next day at Bossa Nova. Oh, wow. All right. Bossa. That's that's a vibe. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Guaranteed. So how are you representing Detroit beyond the 313? What what, what spirit do you try to bring from a city in transition, but also a city with so much history, to other environments, other cities? You know, when I go out, um, I try to be an ambassador, you know, and I try to represent the city like, in a work ethic, you know, the hard work ethic, the blue, the 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 ghost of a blue collar working ethic, because, you know, uh, with the big three gone, pretty much gone now and spread out among the uh, the world, you know, where they outsource to Mexico or whatever. You know, we don't have that industrial base like we used to. So the, the, the idea of a blue collar guy with the hard hat, you know, that doesn't really exist anymore, but I still try to represent that kind of aesthetic. I try to represent the uh, upfront, straightforward, in-your-face attitude of a lot of people in Detroit. I try to do that through my selection and through my mixing style. And uh, again, when I'm out on the road, I try to be uh, a good representative of, of Detroit and to show that, hey, you know, it's not a a city that's overflowing with criminals and thugs and antisocial individuals, you know, but we have, you know, good, solid, hardworking people still left and great artists. And uh, that's just that's just what I try to do. Just try to be a, a source of uh, light and positivity. That's how I try to represent Detroit. Do you feel like the hardworking uniform for you is the mask? Is that any part of that persona for Detroit? Or where does the mask fit into your performance, your identity? You can trace the uh, the use of the mask back to like Mike Banks and Underground Resistance. And there are several, actually there are several groups that and artists that use masks. 
And it's more or less a statement of, uh, hey, focus on the music and not on us. It's kind of like a statement against the cult of personality, so to speak. And it may work. It may work uh, to be actually going against that because, you know, people take more notice of you because you're wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, we're letting uh, or myself, I'm just trying to let the music speak. As opposed to you, you know, staring at me and I'm, you know, throwing cake and all kind of nonsense like that, you know. No cake throwing. No cake throwing. No crowd surfing. Uh, you know, none of that. Sure. Just, <laughs> just, just bringing good, hard, hard working music That's to, to the people. That's and, right. And light positivity. You mentioned before we started to talk that you are going to be in the, in Europe for for quite a while. I'm wondering how. Today's political climate, especially in a post-Brexit Europe, how that climate relates to your futurist ideas. And before even getting into that uh, effect of the political climate on you, for the unfamiliar with Drexia, I was wondering if you could provide an abridged lineage of Drexia and if you can explain how their music pushed forward so many different sounds and ideas. The best way for me to sum up Drexia briefly uh, would be um, it related to the souls of slaves that were cast off of slave ships. And Drexia is capturing that spirit of it speaking to those souls that were cast overboard during the Middle Passage. And it's kind of capturing that lost funk, lost vibe. That's the best way for me to kind of encapsulate it and just make it brief. Sure. And that's what that was about. And I guess within that effort to communicate to that civilization, there was an idea of, there was a futurist kind of idea. Yeah, sure. A a new civilization, a different civilization. Um, How, I guess, did, did did any of those principles or those ethics, those ideas, have they maintained in your belief system? And... What do you feel about the the present the present situation? Well, as far as futurism is concerned, I feel like uh, to take to borrow uh, a line from uh, Model Five Hundred, uh, the future is here. So I'm more into things like my my vision is more like we take advantage of things like nanotechnology, uh, um, making more use of today's scientific achievements to shape our our future. That's the futurist world that I paint. Uh, that's the concept that I have. Sure. And I try to maintain um, Drexia's vision of like more or less like um, where you have things like Dr. Blowfin and that kind of thing. Well, I would prefer to put forth Niles deGrasse Tyson. That's my mm-hmm. Dr. Blowfin, you know, so to speak. So I, I, I try to paint a futurist vision, but based on reality mm-hmm. today's reality whereas instead of a sci- a sci-fi aesthetic i try not to use a sci-fi aesthetic in my concepts does today's political climate feel sci-fi to you or are you you're more practical about it so you're not like we're in some crazy future version of are we in a dystopia right, right. now uh, it sure seems like it but i think we can use logic reason you know you have to just stay calm and you have to look at history and just keep things in context 
And I think that will help kind of deal with because, we're you know, we're in a I was speaking with a, a young man today earlier. I think he's playing with us tonight. And um, he was he mentioned how we have all these technological achievements in such a short period of time. And it's like, are we really able to to deal with this cognitively? Are we, you know, mm. have we evolved to deal with such rapid technological and scientific advancements? How do they shape us socially? And um, I think in in the spirit of that, you know, we should look at today's social problems and political problems from a scientific viewpoint, and we should look at it. Uh, from the viewpoint of, hey, we don't know at all, and we are still adapting and evolving. So I think that should, if you just look at look at it from that perspective that we're evolving, I think that can ward off dystopic, nightmarish scenarios. Sure. And we just, just take things in context, stay calm, and uh, just problem solve, like we've been doing for 200,000 plus years, right. you know? So you've mentioned staying calm. You've mentioned like a, a keeping things light. How do you how do you stay calm in in a society that's so rapidly evolving, especially technologically? Do you shut things down? Do you have personal space, personal time, meditative time? Like how do you how do you get to your uh, safe space? I mean, man, from video games to hitting the iron when I can to uh, Friends, family, watching sports, doing my music, you know what I mean? Uh, reading and learning about science uh, to just goofing off, doing nothing. You know, you know, I just I have a, a multitude of uh, uh, coping mechanisms that I that I use and I just don't rely on one. So, there's you know, again, several things that I use, you know, to just to deal and to try to stay calm, you know, because it's easy to go over the edge. The challenge is staying calm. Right. Sure. You, you know, you can, you can freak out. We all can. So. But your, your, your concept is do not freak out, stay calm. Yeah. Which I've had to learn how to do. Absolutely. <laughs> you no, know. it's, it's an exercise. Exactly. It is. So tomorrow you're playing a big outdoor event. You also play late at night in deep dungeons of, Trezor, how do you plan on approaching tomorrow a daytime crowd? Do you have a strategy or is it a secret or are you just going to do your thing? I'm just going to do my thing, man. You know what I mean? Because you, you get up there and you change your game plan or you change what's work and you get up there and spaz out and, you know, just, I mean, do something awkward. So just just stick with what got me here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and I think, uh, you know, I have something to offer people that they'll enjoy just being myself and not making any adjustments, you know, no need to just go ahead and play. And do you feel, I mean, yourself is Detroit techno. Do you feel that you have to honor that lineage every time that you get out there and play or is there any sort of scenario where you wish you could go off the, the rails, get away from your Detroit lineage? I'll sneak in a grind track toward okay. the end of my sets. So, yeah, or some footwork. But uh, I feel like I, when I go out there, I'm representing Detroit Techno, the D, you know. So I feel like there's an aesthetic I have to keep, a work ethic I have to keep, and um, – and I like to keep my playlist as hard as possible, cutting edge as possible, 
and entertaining and exciting. So, yeah, I'm, when I go out, I'm representing uh, a proud uh, legacy of Detroit electronic music. And I don't want to go out here and play looking like a clown. So, you know, I just work hard and uh, and I take it very seriously what that, I do. That's uh, those are these are good principles. Yes, sir. <laughs> Speaking of Detroit electronic music, uh, during the last DEM festival, uh, Kenny Dixon, Moody Man, um, was paying homage to Prince. He converted his house. Yeah. I heard about this. Yeah. To kind of a shrine to Prince. I was wondering what you thought the loss of an iconic music musician like Prince or even last week Bernie Worrell, what does losing someone like that mean to you? And do you think there are any musicians trying to rising to fill that void obviously a devastating loss with prince but i was telling carl and ken who happened to be who i we just know ken we just spoke on ken being a big fan but carl is a big fan of prince too loves him and i was speaking to him and i said that you know we need to use this man's death to you know make our production and uh our compositions our work more urgent and, you know, what are we going to leave behind when we pass on? It's, it's going to happen. So, you know, Prince left a, a a great legacy. And, I mean, his music touched people worldwide, all age groups. And it's like, what do we want to leave behind, you know, when they're writing, you know, our obituary? And that's pretty much what I kind of spoke to them about. And and I've internalized. I work a little harder now. I, I try to be even more serious about what I'm doing, more thorough and, you know, like when when uh, Sherrard Ingram's obituary is is written, uh, you know, I want people to say that, you know, I left some good things behind, you know, artistically, you know, and and happen to be a decent guy. Bernie Wolwell, let me tell you something, man. Um, I used to go to church and I had another friend and we loved Parliament and we would be microanalyzing Bernie Wolwell's work. You know, from his, you know, the biomechanical dexterity to the actual patches, the synth patches. And I'm going to tell you to this day, some of those sounds just, it's amazing, mm. th- this man's work. And, uh, you know, again, you know, uh, it, it's a, he left behind, Bernie, Mr. Orwell left uh, behind a, a, a great legacy. And uh, I think it's un- incumbent upon us while we're still living, you know, to try to honor that by, working hard and leaving something behind, you know, that people can say, hey, you know, these guys were great, you know. Absolutely. You mentioned making music that's more urgent. I'm wondering how your music could become any more urgent than it already is. <laughs> I mean, and that, that leads me to another question, because you didn't, you, t- you took some time with Urban Tribe not to make as urgent music. Where, what's, what's next? What, what, what? Where do you see your your sound going? Do you think it's going to become more urgent, or is it? Will you return to like that urban tribe sound, or is it left for us to guess? I'm going to be doing both. Yeah, I'm still doing my DJ Stingray, and I'm actually working on an urban tribe album. We did some Carl and I did some work in Barcelona a few months ago, and uh, you know Ken has got some tracks ready, and Carl and we got this young. I mean, uh, we got this young guy named um, Jeremy Howard. And DJ Sinistar. So he's going to put some uh, new generation, 21st century uh, mechanics into what we're doing. 
Right. So look for that. And you, I mean, I can't even picture that scene. You, Carl, Kenny, Ken, uh, this younger generation uh, DJ. Is this, this isn't everyone sitting in the room at once or does that actually happen where you guys are like in the studio and, and, and coming together over it? Uh, we, we are never able to be all in at one time, you know, so it's usually me with one of them, mm-hmm. but this year I want to change that. Yes. And I'm, I'm going for it. And I've sat down and discussed it with, with Carl and Ken and they're on board. So now it's just getting this youngster's passport and all his information together and get him over to the EU and, and do some work with us. And uh, I'm really excited about this project. I've delayed it quite some time, man. I've got probably, oh man, I had maybe 40 to 50 uh, tracks of varying lengths and stages of completion for this new UT project. And it's just, it's mind wrenching trying to choose what I'm going to use and not to mention what Carl and Ken has. So I'm looking forward because I'm going to, as we mentioned earlier, I'm going to be in the EU for a while. So we'll be able to get together at various points before the end of uh, 2016. We should have it finished. All right. And it, I think I think people are going to like it. Absolutely. When you're working with a, a younger musician, is this? I'm not sure if this is the first time, but what do you feel you gain from working with younger a younger musician and um, you know, what, what do they, how do they influence their music? Because you've clearly influenced theirs. Working with young guys just and, and young artists, period, is, I mean, it's eye-opening. Uh, this uh, DJ Sinistar, he gave me like, oh man, it was uh, uh, this huge file. It might have been close to a gig of tracks that he plays when he DJs. And it just completely just, I mean, changed my whole direction of where I was going conceptually mm. and, and the way I compose. I'm like, wow. You know, because some of the stuff he's probably was, I was hearing some grime tracks and some trap and footwork and and some jungle and, you know, but more modern day 21st century versions, iterations. And I mean, it just completely invigorated me. And that's what I get out of working with the youngsters, you know, and, uh, and, it, and it's really good if you're working with a young person who wants to listen and who wants to learn from you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and uh, and respects history. So there's like a, an exchange, you know, and I get to uh, I get new ideas and infusion of new ideas and I get new energy and they get the benefit of my experience and and my concepts. And, you know, when you mesh them together, good things happen. And I mean, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting working with younger people. And I look to incorporate more younger musicians, artists into my work in the future. It's interesting how the Detroit is so based on generations of uh, musicians that kind of hand down or um, teach each other, have, te- have, have kind of shared their, their craft through micro-generations. And those micro-generations then became splintered all over the world. And it must be kind of just a trip going to Europe or going all over the world and, and hearing yourself a little bit. Um, I, I, I just think that's kind of like a, a, a very, a very interesting thing that it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a generational, uh, tradition that then became world, a worldly tradition. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's beautiful to go places and uh, see UR stickers or, you know, you, you ride on the street and you see uh, uh, a Stacy pulling uh poster or Carl or, uh, you know, Derek or whoever, you know, or you're playing in the same city at the same time as Omar S or Kyle or, you know, just, I mean, the list goes on and on. And man, in it to, to see the positive influence that, you know, Detroit musicians have, have helped spread, you know, through the world, man, it's, it is really motivating. And, um, you know, I mean, what, I mean, what can I say? I just, I hope that we can continue this tradition. You know what I mean? Because you know, in Detroit, R and B, hip hop, gospel, blues, pop music is king. Mm-hmm. So it's tough keeping this thing alive because it's only one out of every what twenty, thirty thousand mm-hmm. that are into electronic music and house music. So, you know, it's a precarious balance, man. We always face being overtaken by the the collective, the pop, hip hop, R and B collective, you know, and being wiped into oblivion. So, right when you see new fresh talent, and it's great. But if you would ask a European, even uh, a European that might be like operating somewhat in a in a popular sphere, a lot of people would associate Detroit with dance music. So it is interesting, I guess to hear that in Detroit to this day that dance music is still trying to claw its way to the to the top, you know, for recognition. But it's also encouraging because dance music is a is a great underground uh place for everyone to convene and be totally free. But what if it went above ground and we were all free? Um that would be amazing. <laughs> and but I I would fear that it would be co-opted by uh, corporate forces. Right. You know, so maybe it's best that it's... Stays underground. Yeah, Yeah. you know. my. I mean, I would love to turn on a television and hear a Juan Atkins track being played in a car commercial or, you know what I mean, Uh, or see somebody like a surgeon at halftime at the Super Bowl or uh, a Derek May or somebody opening up the World Cup like David David Guetta did. I would love to see that, but maybe it's best that we right stay away from those from that level of exposure. But do you think that was ever anyone Juan's ambition or Carl's ambition or your ambition to bring it to that other level, or have you always felt the underground is is where you need to be? I'm not gonna lie. I've always thought takeover mode. Right. I was like, hey, and I've been like this since I was, you know, like in my early 20s, like, look, let's take this over. Let's create our own thing. And then they come to us. Every other genre has their own thing. Rock, heavy metal, hip hop, jazz. They, people come to those those genres and and the, the artists are able to do what they want to do unfettered. Yes, you have commercial wings of those, what I mentioned, but you know rock when you hear it. You know hip-hop when you hear it. You know jazz, country and western. We're the only ones that are afraid to like, like, hey, here we are, right. you know? And and I, I did mention earlier that I'm afraid maybe uh, corporate forces would co-opt it, but you know, I don't know. I, I just would like to see us 
be more assertive and have more of a presence out here and stop right. feeling like we have to, you know, uh, that we have to kind of hide, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe it's best that we do in the long run, you sure. know, because, hey, I don't know everything, so. Well, maybe the underground just becomes uh, deeper and wider, and then that becomes the, uh, a more normal thing. Because, that would be better. I mean, the ab- above ground is a little scary right now. Yeah, it's ugly. <laughs> Definitely. But tomorrow, I don't, th- I, th- I think we'll be a, it's a unique situation in New York that has traditionally embraced electronic and dance music. I think people come there for that experience. It's always amazing to see uh, people at PS1 warm up, really embrace DJs that are ready to, to journey, ready to play um from their heart and, you know, especially from that tradition of electronic music that uh, has informed a lot of, you know, not necessarily the, 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 the best EDM or like, you know, um, so I think there's a, there's a real, there's a, 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 a real fan that, that comes out to this PS1. I think you're going to have a really good time. That's good to hear, man. Reassuring. Yes. Yeah. So... What do you have planned after New York? You're going. You're going back to Detroit. Back to Detroit. <clears throat> then next week it's uh, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. For like a music festival. Or? Uh, yeah, it's a music festival. Cool. I can't remember the name, but uh, yeah, it's a music festival. I'll see uh, Rick Wilhite will be playing there too as well. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you could fit us in. That's an honor, man. Thank you. I hope you have a blast at PS One tomorrow. I'm sure I will. Great, man. Yeah. Pleasure speaking with you, man. It was my pleasure.